0: Welcome to this edition of Equinor's Energize Your Day, a series of events Equinor organizes in partnership with Euroactive and where we wish to discuss trends and issues impacting Europe and the world. This in the spirit of open and constructive dialogue, sharing different perspectives that enhance understanding and promote long-term thinking, leading to collaborative solutions and actions. My name is Ola omnius and moderator of today's event on how to shape a new EU-Africa partnership. To our panelists and you in the audience, a warm welcome and thank you for being with us this afternoon. If you wish to engage on social media during this event, please use the hashtag EADebates. You can ask questions by means of the Ask button in the Q&A section of the Vimeo tool. This debate is recorded and will be available on the EuroActive website. The 2020 Africa Youth Survey found two-thirds of Africa's youth to believe they were living through a transformative African century. And Afro-optimism is seen to rise across the continent. And Europe is taking notice. President von der Leyen's first foreign trip was to meet African Union's counterpart, in Ethiopia. In March 2020, the Commission presented its communication towards a comprehensive strategy with Africa. In many ways, this is a continuation of the path set out by the European Commission's first president, also a German, Walter Halterstein, who in 1961 stated that a European policy for Africa is a necessity. Some 40 years later, President Jean-Claude Juncker, affirmed that Africa does not need charity, but a true and fair partnership. Since the first EU-Africa Summit in 2000, this partnership has acquired a full continental dimension. Today, the twin continents work side by side on some very daunting challenges. Eradicate poverty and improve food security. 36 of the most fragile countries of the world are in Africa. 390 million people, or one-third of the continent's population, are living below the poverty line, and 239 million still suffers from undernourishment. Improved access to health services and overcome vaccine inequality. Only 1.4% of the African population has gotten their first COVID-19 jab, and only 0.4% are fully vaccinated. The co-chair of the African Vaccine Delivery Alliance, al Alekai says Africa must break free from the shackles of do-gooderism and aid dependency and must move faster towards real self-sufficiency in diagnostics, therapeutics and vaccine production. Advancing on the many dimensions of an EU-Africa partnership will be hampered by uneven access to vaccination. Conflicts, poverty and stalled economic development could result. Job availability. 800 million Africans are expected to enter the workforce within the next 30 years. Africa will need to create jobs equivalent to 12% of the total EU workforce every year over this period. The African Development Bank Group sees at most three million jobs a year created, while it would need to be north of 12 million. Failure to do so could mean enhanced migratory pressures, more scenes like the ones we saw in Chuta last week. Access to energy. Today, 600 million in sub-Saharan Africa lack access to electricity. In 2040, the per capita consumption of power in the region is projected to be half that of the EU. In fact, Africa needs to double its energy supply by 2040. A massive challenge. Reignite democracy. The African continent trails at the bottom of the Economist intelligence unit's democracy index with deteriorating scores. Yesterday's events in Mali is a strong reminder that democratization processes still can be stopped in their tracks. And then climate change. Africa is an exposure and vulnerability hotspot for climate variability and change impacts according to the World Meteorological Organization's state of climate report. 81% of the continent's youth reveal climate anxieties according to the 2020 African Youth Survey. Failure to jointly address climate change stands to impact success in all other areas of cooperation. Can a new partnership be instrumental in tackling all these issues? We We hope to find out in today's debate. And we are joined by an exceptional panel. We are honored to have with us Ambassador José Fernando Costa Pereira, permanent representative of Portugal to the EU's Political and Security Committee. From the European Commission's Director General for International Partnership, we have Francesca Di Mauro, Deputy Director in the Africa Directorate. The Deputy Head of Mission of the Embassy of Botswana to the European Union, Mrs. Dibout Sobaleseng. Ms. Vanessa Nakate, one of the most influential climate activists in Africa and globally, one of the UN's young leaders for sustainable development goals, and Josef Travali, senior fellow for digital at the African-European Foundation and founder of the think tank All Sides Africa. We look forward to hearing your perspectives on what it will take to make an EU-Africa equal partnership a reality. You will now have Uh, all of you, some two to four minutes each, to introduce what you see are key features of designing EU-African partnerships fit for the 21st century. Let us start with you, uh, Ambassador Costa Pereira. This is not the first European-African strategy that we cast our eyes uh, on. What do you believe is different this time around?
1: Thank you, Olaf. Uh, Good afternoon to everybody. Thank you to Equinor and Euroactive for inviting me to have the opportunity of uh, exchanging ideas with with the panel and with uh, the guests. As you said, uh, Olaf, this is not the first strategy. Actually, uh, there was a strategy that had a, a very specific Peculiarity, the fact that uh, it was a joint strategy that was signed back in 2007, written in 2006, and signed in 2007, and it's intended to be as a as a joint uh, uh, document, a way of balancing the interests of both sides of the two continents, both Africa and and Europe. Um, The jury is still out, I would say, about uh, the results that came out of this strategy. And I believe this was the reason why, when this new uh, commission came into Brussels, that it decided that it was needed to look at uh, the relationship with Africa from a different perspective. Uh, I suppose Francesca will tell us a little bit more about it. Uh, But in our view, uh, although there is nothing wrong, and I would like to pinpoint this from the beginning, that Europe shall defend its interests vis-à-vis the relationship with Africa. At the same time, it, it makes no sense to establish a strategy for Africa. Uh, that's why the name changed for a strategy with Africa, uh, in order to uh, allow for also our African uh, partners to be able to defend themselves what they want from Europe, uh, which is something that sometimes is difficult to pinpoint. In this sense, as you said in your introduction, a partnership of equals is the ultimate target. But it's difficult to establish a partnership of equals when, uh, when one of the continents depends uh, in a large scale from the assistance policy of the other continent. Until we are able to solve this, until we're able to establish a different kind of approach in our relationships, I'm afraid that this partnership of equals will not be uh, absolutely um, possible. Um, what to do then, as you ask, to change uh, the situation? I would say it, 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 it's imperative that uh, uh, the relationship is establishing a different pattern than just either our policy of providing grants or the Chinese policy of providing loans. Uh, indeed, for, for Africa to come out, out of uh, uh, its current stage where the difficulties, the challenges that you pointed out from poverty to um, uh, democracy in jeopardy, can be solved. Indeed, as you said, uh, Africa is a demographic uh, challenge in the sense that uh, a lot of young people are coming into the job market every every, every year, and there is no uh, not a number of sufficient jobs. Um, how to do it? Well, you need a lot of investment. Uh, But for this investment to uh, become a reality, especially the type of investment that creates jobs, the one that is done through small and medium-sized companies, you need also to have uh, an environment that is conducive to that investment. And that's where the issue of governance comes in. And that, For me, this is the central issue in Africa, the problem of governance. For people to invest in it, to have certainty, they need to be sure that uh, their investment will pay dividends and only after this problem of governance that implies a lot of things from stability to uh, um, an impartial justice until this problem is solved it will be very difficult to capture the kind of investment that africa needs so that's where we were we have work to do uh, and the kind of investment that will be sustainable by then By that, I'm saying that the jobs will be sustainable and will be uh, something that will be in transition to a a green economy, because that is another of the problems in Africa. Even for those countries that are richer than the others because they depend on their ability uh, to to export raw materials, some of them are too dependent on, on the fuel economy. And if they don't start to have the transition into a a, a different path, it will be very difficult for their economies to provide the kinds of jobs that are needed. So there is a monumental challenge in front of us for the Africans in first place because it's their continent, but also for us Europeans because we are their neighbours. And therefore, it is a common interest that we can solve the situation. But again, I'm challenging the uh, traditional idea that is to assistance policies that we are able to do so. Um, of course, in the past there were several different attempts to start changing this reality. Um, a lot of different methodologies was uh, attempted, I say like the blending, for instance, the partnerships between private se- and the public sector. Uh, did they produce results? In some cases, yes, uh, and that's another point perhaps that w- we should start looking at, which is that we consider Africa as a wall when there are, right now, quite a number of differences between several different countries in Africa, and we should take into consideration that, that reality. But nevertheless, the challenges are, are, are there, I think we need to, psychologically, be able to go beyond what is the traditional modus operandi of the relationship be- be- between the two countries. This will take, will take necessarily time because people need to change their approach. But uh, it is an effort that will be worthwhile to to, to, to take and to tackle in order that is the alleviation of poverty and a stronger democracy can uh, uh, take hold of uh, in the African continent. And I suppose I was told that I should not speak for too long, so I would just stop here. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you, José. And um, I've jotted down that we need to review dependencies or the way we look at dependencies and also that we have to move beyond traditional approaches. Uh, we will revert to some of those elements later, but uh, Deputy Director De Moreau, since early 2000, we've seen a communication by the Commission on Africa almost every single or at most every second year. Um, are we getting it right this time around with, uh, with uh, this new strategy with Africa or the, an approach towards a new strategy with Africa?
2: Thank you. Thank you very much, Olav, and uh, also thank you for inviting me to this very distinguished uh, panel and debate. So, as as you said, it will not be too long because it's good, I think, to have an interaction. So I, I, I indeed want to point out to another, let's say, specificity of the title of the of the of the strategy, which is actually called towards a comprehensive strategy with Africa, and it goes very much in the same direction as what the ambassador was saying, in the sense of you know this is a little bit you know our take or our you know offer on the table, but we would like very much to discuss with the Africans to see you know how they see things, what are their views. So. Um, you may say that there have been already other African strategies and at the last uh, um, summit, uh, the one on Abidjan, there was, you know, this... Um, uh, roadmap, you know, the, the, that was also put on the table. You could also wonder what has happened there. I mean, I think we, we have to, you know, be uh, differentiated. As it was already mentioned, it's not that Africa is a block. There are a lot of things that are happening in Africa that really go precisely in that direction of modernization of the economies, of, uh, you know, digitalization of the economies, of really wanting to push reforms that are uh, also going to attract the uh, private sector. So I think we shouldn't, you know, just see uh, Africa as, a, as one. Um, the difference, uh, I think uh, one of the main differences now is that uh, maybe before the, the the topic of Africa was very much relegated, you know, let's say, to the external action people. So, you know, us in DGX development or the external action service when it was created, we were the one dealing with Africa. But if you now actually look at, at our engagement, you already mentioned yourself. I mean, President von der Leyen's first trip Outside of the EU was to Addis, was to Addis, which is, of course, is also the, the the seat of the African Union. It was really this kind of acknowledgement that you know Africa is our neighbor. There is a lot of untapped potential that we want to exploit in that relationship with Africa, and it is also. A whole of Commission and a whole of EU approach to Africa. So we we see a lot now when we have internal discussion with all uh, many you know other uh, director general within the Commission that there is a huge huge you know interest in in precisely tapping that potential. So the the the, the question of Africa is not just relegated to you know some of us, but it is really seen as a geopolitical uh, uh, in, geopolitical interest and a geopolitical. Um, Yes, uh, dimension, which is the whole, uh, you know, the whole new approach of this new commission to look at things uh, in a much more geopolitical way, which also means that whatever we want to do for the green deal for Europe, you know, may have an impact for Africa. So, what what does it take to us to precisely prepare our African partners and work with our African partners? to prepare for whatever we want to 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 have as uh, as you know rules but also because we believe that you know the fight against climate the, the the climate action digitalization are key issues that you know need to be addressed as well as the jobs and growth for their own benefits so this the whole issue of you know, is it interest? Is it values? I mean, we don't really see that these are in contradiction. You know, we can have a mutual interest in, in, uh, in uh, promoting, you know, d- mutual, you know, uh, businesses between Africa and Europe, while at the same time also promoting a number of values: the value of inclusivity, the value of uh, women empowerment, gender and women empowerment, the, the, the value of you know, avoiding exclusion, but also the values of uh, respecting uh, social standards Environmental standards, which again maybe puts us a little bit different from other actors, and 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 the idea, of course, is to raise the standard rather than to have this race to the bottom, where we would have, uh, you know, the, the many actors that are present in Africa, and there are many, and we are totally aware that there are, you know, competing interests in Africa, but we also want to, to you know, we 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 have this uh, really, I would say, ambition and vision that it is only by uh, attacking and addressing uh, all the aspect in a sustainable manner. Social sustainability, economic sustainability, financial sustainability. And here I, you know go back to the issue of loans versus grants and so on. And loans are not bad per se, but you know loans are supposed you know to be there also for uh, effective projects, effective investment, and not you know the the, the end. Uh, stadium or 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 bridge to nowhere. so so this is a little bit our seal of sustainability that uh, that we are bringing to Africa. And I also can tell you with the all the various discussions we already have some, with some countries, um very clear, Ghana has a strategy of going beyond aid. so they are clearly you know already thinking you know that, of course, aid is not going to be enough because the needs, as we said, are huge in, in Africa. So what to do to go beyond is, indeed, to attract uh, private investors um, to be able to, to borrow but for the right causes. And to attract private investment, it also means reforms. So I join here again what the ambassador was saying on governance, which is uh, in my view, uh, in our view, I mean, a critical aspect of of uh, of whatever you know has has to be done to to be able to to attract investors. Um, I mean, I had of course a whole spin about uh, you know the, the the COVID and all of that. We can maybe come back to it, but for me the the COVID is a little bit was a little bit the test. Of, of the strategy of the comprehensive uh, strategy uh, with Africa, precisely because uh, it really shows that whatever we have put there, I haven't mentioned, but you know, we have these five key areas, the five key partnerships on Green, Green Deal, on uh, digitalization, on jobs and growth, on peace and governance, and on migration, all of these are all the more relevant in a post-COVID world because it's been very clear that you know inclusion and uh inequalities, uh, COVID has Amplified all of these uh, inequalities and uh, and exclusion uh, factors. and And thanks to digitalization, we can overcome them. And thanks to you know creating proper and sustainable jobs, we can overcome the huge socioeconomic impact that uh, Covid had on Africa, which is maybe less on the health side but more on, on the socioeconomic economic side. So the strategy, I would just like to conclude by saying it is still very relevant. And of course, we have engaged with our African partners throughout as we could. But of course, the ultimate engagement is with the summit. And this is, of course, something that so the African Union-EU summit, which has not yet taken place, which we hope will take place uh, perhaps uh, early next year. But we can come back on it, but, uh, but, but this is a little bit the thrust of how we can introduce the topic. Thank
0: you. Thank you, Francesca, and and also thank you for for stressing the the value based approach um, to uh, to the strategy. I think uh, if you if you base yourself on values, uh, getting things right is actually a, a lot easier. Um, Deputy Chief of Mission Balasingh, uh, seen with the lens of your home country Botswana, which is a a, a success by many measures uh, when it comes to um, uh, the the role of of democracy and also the the role of business and investments. Uh, If you look towards Europe, what kind of partnership uh, and efforts would you be looking for uh, in this new strategy?
3: Thank you very much, thank you. Let me at the outset um, state that I'm excited to participate in this panel. Um, and we are convinced that this time around, there's commitment on both sides to a renewed um, relationship between Africa and Europe. Um, the undertaking in the proposed strategy that has been referred to that is undergoing intensive interrogation in Africa, it represents a significant example of the commitment to revitalize and reset this longstanding standing um, relationship that we have with Europe. Africa needs Europe, and Europe needs Africa. Therefore, a strong resilience based on an equal and dynamic partnership that has been said before, respect for one another's point of view and commitment to honor obligations will ensure that the citizens of our two continents continue to reap the benefits of this relationship. This partnership to us is more critical today as we continue to deal with the debilitating effects of the COVID pandemic where livelihoods have been severely impacted with multitude of people losing jobs every day businesses being devastated increasing poverty and the looming risk of food insecurity and famine. firstly we believe that we have to work together to ensure that we save lives we have the golden opportunity to support value chains in the health sector build productive capacities in Africa, and implement life-saving programs that include successful and timely vaccinations of all people in Africa. We also have to redouble efforts to ensure that the recovery of Africa is fast, meaningful, sustained, and inclusive. Concerted efforts should be made to assist upper-middle-income countries suffering from COVID-related economic disruption, and ensure that they are equally facilitated to access vaccines available in the market. They must be allowed the space to ensure that immediate manufacturing and supply capacity is not only increased but diversified. We are happy that all the five pri- priorities of the draft strategy align with um, the strategies of the Africa Union and the African governments, towards, especially towards post-economic um, recovery. In the case of Botswana, we have an economic recovery and transformation plan that has prioritized the creation of jobs and sustainable economic development through digital transformation, renewable energy and green transformation, transport and connectivity, and the development of agricultural value chains and sustainable food systems. The successful implementation of this plan requires cooperation with Europe and the international community as a whole. In this instance, we firmly believe that it will be beneficial if all EU member states come on board. One of the difficulties we experience is that when we approach some EU member states for strategic partnership, they are quick to inform us that Botswana is not among their priority countries. The enthusiasm displayed by the EU institutions and Brussels must trickle to all stakeholders, including individual European governments, the private sector and civil society. We believe that upper middle income countries ought to be facilitated for technology transfer, capacity building to enable them to continue to consolidate economic recovery and build resilience. We've been hearing that um, the biggest problem with Africa right now is um, the issue of governance. And we all know that Botswana is the longest multi-party democracy in Africa. And um, we are a country that is based on the rule of law. There are legal frameworks to protect investment, but we are not getting um, as much investment as we are hoping to get, or as, as um, the, the credentials would be allowing us to to, to receive. So we are asking ourselves sometimes um, when we talk, it it, it does not translate into what is happening, what we see happening on the ground. So investing in digital transformation and um, green transformation, as well as transport and infrastructure is instrumental to supporting poverty eradication, creating employment and unlocking trade and high productivity in Africa. Lastly, I just wanted to say that the success of this renewed partnership needs to be inclusive by involving all stakeholders in both continents, including the private sector, civil society, and especially young people. Youth must be provided with tools to succeed politically, economically, and socially. In most countries, about half of the population is younger than 30 years old. This important cohort must be visible at all levels. They must be allowed to thrive as entrepreneurs. Otherwise, all this will remain but a rhetoric. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much, Debato. And and thanks for um, recollecting that. Um, We live in a pandemic and there is an importance, one imperative, and that is to save lives. Um, I also jotted down uh, that we need to revert in our discussion to the issue of infrastructure and sustainable investments. uh, And we will get uh, back to that. You also mentioned the youth. And Ms. Nakata, you belong to the young generation that wishes to tackle the challenges of your continent and the world heads on. Are you confident that Africa and the EU can be, become strategic partnership, uh, partners in the fight against global climate change?
4: Thank you so much. Um, happy to be speaking with all of you today. Uh, when I think about these discussions, it really reminds me of all the summits and conferences and how there is always you know, so much discussion and a lot of things suggested. But then the following year, we come back to the same thing. The following year, we come back to the same thing. And my question is always that when shall we stop discussing and when shall we actually put implement the things that we are talking about to me the beginning of all these challenges is the climate crisis when you look at the sustainable development goals you realize that we won't be able to eradicate poverty with climate change existing we won't be able to achieve zero hunger if climate change is leaving millions of people and communities with no access to food with no access to water we won't be able to achieve gender equality if women and girls are disproportionately affected by the climate crisis we won't be able to see peace in our communities we won't have access to affordable clean energy we won't have uh, access to clean air, clean water, sanitation, if the climate crisis exists. To me, this is the beginning of all these problems. And if we are to solve them, we have to solve the climate crisis. We have to tackle the climate crisis. So greetings to you all. Uh, My name is Vanessa Nakate and I am a climate activist from Uganda. In the first week of January 2019, I held my first climate strike after seeing and researching about how climate change affected the people in my country. And I also went ahead to understand how it specifically affects the people in the African continent. This is when I realized that we are facing the greatest threat right now. And why is that? The climate crisis is already destroying vast parts of the African continent. This is tragic and ironic when you think about how Africa is one of the least emitters of CO2 emissions, and yet it is among the most affected by climate change right now. Historically, the entire continent of Africa is responsible for 3% of global emissions, and yet Africans are already suffering some of the most brutal impacts fueled by the climate crisis, from the floods, to the hurricanes, to the droughts, to the heat waves, to to the landslides, etc. We are on the front lines of the climate crisis. This is why I want people to understand that this is more than weather. This is more than statistics. This is about the people who are being impacted right now. Many people have lost their lives while countless more have lost their farms, have lost their businesses, have lost their homes. This is when I remind you about climate change being the cause of all these challenges. Without homes, people are being left homeless. Without farms, people are being left hungry. Without businesses, people are being kept in extreme poverty. Cyclone Idai was one of the worst cyclones to affect the African continent, ripping apart and flooding large parts of Mozambique, Zimbabwe, and Malawi. The heavy rainfall and strong winds left more than 1,300 people dead and many more recorded as missing. And it also left an economic crisis. And last year, the water levels of Lake Victoria rose as a result of heavy rainfall in East Africa and homes were flooded, farms were destroyed again, people were displaced and toilets were submerged, leaving a water crisis. Southern parts of Africa have experienced terrible droughts that are leading to food scarcity and water scarcity. The water levels of Zambezi River, Lake Chad and Victoria Falls are lower than they have been for decades. To be specific, Lake Chad has shrunk to a tenth of its original size in just 50 years, and half of Nigeria has no access to water. So for every 1% increase in drought in our communities. There is a 2.4% decrease in agricultural output. That means to us less rain means hunger, starvation and death for many people, as well as too much rain means hunger, starvation and death for many people. We may be facing the same storm of the climate crisis, but we are definitely in different boats. But what is the main response from developed countries for the social and economic crisis that we are seeing in Africa? continued investment in the fossil fuels, continued burning of fossil fuels. But I have one thing to say to countries and banks that are continuously funding the digging up of fossil fuels in African countries. We cannot eat coal and we cannot drink oil. This should be the beginning of our discussion for for Europe to address the climate crisis, and not just to just give targets, but to give realistic activities or realistic strategies that are going to be put in place to stop the climate crisis. Like I said, if the climate crisis is there, many people are going to continue living in poverty. We won't be able to achieve gender equality. Many children will continue to sleep hungry. Many more will continue to drop out of school. Conflicts will continue in our communities as people struggle for the limited resources. This is what needs to be done. We want climate justice. We want climate action. And this starts from stopping investments in fossil fuels and starting investments in renewable energy and also solutions that we know can work right now. I know that we must must find new solutions to tackle the climate crisis. And I know that we need clean energy technologies that need investment, research and development. But we also need to massively increase support for the things that we know will work right now and will help right now. That's why I love to talk about Project Drawdown, which is a well-respected ranking of solutions to tackle climate change, and it lists the top 100 solutions, things that we can do to reduce the greenhouse gas emissions. And ranked number five is educating girls and family planning. But how many girls are receiving education right now? This is something that also needs to be looked into. Many girls in Africa are not receiving education. And yet this is one of the tools that we have to address the climate crisis because it's going to help us build resilience in communities. It's going to help us reduce inequalities in communities. And it's also going to reduce emissions all at the same time. So it's also time to look at the solutions that can work right now, not solutions that we think will work but are not yet existing.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Vanessa. To me, a real tour de force uh, of the problems of the African continent. And thank you for underlining the importance of dealing with the water crisis, the importance of securing investments into a clean energy system for Africa, and also to stress the importance, uh, important role of education, uh, not only for girls, but for the young generation in uh, in africa Um, you also mentioned vanessa innovation and uh, uh, mr travalli you uh, have worked on innovation on digitalization for a number of years Um, what do you see in the strategy that can help the africans transition to an inclusive innovative economy Um, if you can elaborate on that
5: yes thank you olaf
0: um very happy to be the last to speak.
5: It's very interesting to hear the order before. First of all, I really like the title of, your, of the panel, uh, and, and I would like to build around that. Uh, the first question indeed for me is, um, what is the strategic move that Europe needs to, to, to make? And I think probably the first one, I don't know if it's a strategic move and it's linked to innovation. It's really a shift in mindset. From what I've heard uh, today, I think as long as the starting point of the discussion between Europe and Africa will be that um, Africa is a continent that really needs assistance from Europe. I think we won't move anywhere with, uh, with, with this starting point. So the first thing is to, to, to change this, uh, this, this mindset because this is very important because it's only when you will do this shift in mindset that you will see start seeing the opportunity in an equal uh, partnership between Europe uh, and Africa. And building on what just Vanessa said, for instance, uh, she mentioned solutions, innovative solutions. For, for the last, I think, 10 years, Europe has been working in a number of uh, solutions. For instance, Germany has been uh, leading in e-fuel development for, uh, with Audi, with, uh, with Ford, with, uh, with Volvo. They have been developing quite some solutions, and they are planning the transition to step away from fossil fuel by 2030 and 2030 and beyond. And what does this mean for Africa? The second example is, for instance, Iceland. Iceland is today uh, leading in in, in green methanol. And and, and even beyond that, uh, in Belgium, you will see a number of cases where they are building, they are are developing uh, carbon-negative material for constructions. So all those innovative SMEs, um, it's known that they have some difficulty to scale up in in Europe. So it's, it's, it's an opportunity for them, when we build this partnership with Africa, So they can actually find new markets where they can deploy their technology, where they can scale their technology even much, much more than than, uh, than, uh, in Europe Europe itself. So those are very concrete examples where innovation can help build a more, let's say, equal partnership and win-win partnership between Europe uh, and Africa. The second uh, interesting point is uh, that, that is embedded in the title, is, is the EU serious about engaging with Africa? I think what I would say is EU can be more serious about engaging with Africa. It's really moving from goodwill to action. I think as long as the discussion between Europe and Africa, between Europe, the EU and, and Africa will remain at a very high institutional level, uh, we will have an issue to see the, the benefit of an equal partnership. And again, that's where uh, innovation in the way we we partner uh, will be uh, very interesting. For instance, the the Africa Europe Foundation for which, uh, where I am a a, a fellow, we are really thinking about triangular partnership. where there is a a third component coming into the, the, the picture between Europe and Africa to really serve as a facilitator in building this relationship and to make sure that we really move from goodwill to action that we come with uh, implementable project. This is what is missing in this partnership. We know that Africa today has the most extensive network of partnership, but this partnership is not, this network of partnership is not actually coordinated, orchestrated for for higher impact. So having this uh, this, uh, this third, 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 uh, let's say organization or group of organization to facilitate uh, the dialogue between EU and Africa is something that I believe is uh, is extremely important. So, in short, um, we really need to move from goodwill to action, and that's for me that's key. And we need to really shift uh, our mindset to be able to identify the many innovative opportunities that are there to build, let's say, what I would call a more circular innovation model between the two continents.
0: Thanks a lot, Josef, and uh, thanks to you all for sharing your um, initial thoughts on the on the topic. Um, we'll uh, turn to some questions, and um, I want to address a first question to you, uh, Jose. Uh, the pandemic has, in some way, uh, made it more difficult to advance um, the the strategy and the discussions. But have you already had sort of bilateral feedback either from member states or from from um, African countries on the strategy that helps you to design the process for going forward uh, with the strategy and, and how to make sure that this, we get a valid discussion among the AU and the EU uh, on this once the summit is being organized early next year?
1: Well, uh, as you said, indeed, COVID had an impact in the sense that um, these kind of uh, big jamboree meetings and the ministerials or summits um, are not the same thing if they are done digitally. Uh, And there were several attempts done by uh, the people in charge, Uh, basically the president of the European Council who has the um, the initiative uh, uh, to define the calendar of the summits as well as the high representative vice president of the commission who's in charge of the ministerials. Um, And the, the, the several attempts did not produce results. I mean, the meetings did not take place, although some had been staged in a different format from the usual one. Uh, But the African side insisted very much that uh, it should be done physically. And so there was the need for a a constant uh, uh, report uh, uh, or a constant uh, postponement, rather, of of, of the, the meetings. That does not mean that we are not discussing Africa. We discuss Africa quite often uh, in uh, in, uh, in the European uh, uh, forum in in the sense that we understand the importance that all Africa has for us, not only the the countries of the southern neighbourhoods, so Northern Africa, but also Sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, because the crises are there, the COVID in first place, uh, of course, but also the ones that uh, Vanessa mentioned in terms of climate change, and of course the more structural ones of poverty and peace and security uh, that uh, unfortunately are still a reality over there. Um, what what we do is uh, that let's not think that. Uh, We only do things with Africa during the summits or the ministerials, nothing of the kind. Um, There is a a work that is done on a a daily basis through the uh, delegations and embassies and several different projects and the missions that we have in several different places. So uh, there's a lot of uh, investment. And when I say investment, I'm not only talking about financial investment, but personal investment, uh, ideas investment, innovation investment, business fora. That that are taking place. There was a business forum, for instance, in Lisbon in April, uh, bringing the, uh, uh, companies from from both sides, precisely with, with the idea: how we uh, how can we improve the the relationship in several different fields. So this work is has, has been done. Now, Youssef, um, I think, was mentioning the 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 need to go from. Uh, ideas to actions and this has been attempted in the past to coordinate better what we do the um, the joint strategy that i spoke about the one from 2007 had established uh, a number of partnerships thematic partnerships from peace and security to energy uh, uh, so on and, on and so forth um it didn't work that that well that we have to be honest about it uh there was a at a certain stage a lack of, uh, of investment by by the the two sides in making things work uh, it's always quite difficult because uh, while uh, we have uh, a well-organized systematic way of uh, um coordination amongst ourselves on European side this coordination is a, a little bit more fragile on the African side uh, the Although we'd like to consider that the African Union is the mirror image of the European Union, the reality is that it is not. Uh, And therefore, there is still a process of building up resilience and uh, strength within the the African Union that has not yet been uh, uh, able to reach uh, its zenith. Uh, And this creates uh, another layer of difficulty, which is sometimes to understand exactly whom should be our, our interlocutors according to the, the different the, the different uh, issues. But i like also to point out that there is an important uh, bridge between Africa and Europe that we don't speak so often, but it's also very important, which is the diaspora, the African diaspora in Europe and to a certain extent European diaspora in Africa, and the kind of contacts people to people. Those are very important. And sometimes they are more important, I would say, than the official channels, in the sense that people can change opinions, can change ideas, can change plans. And uh, if you really want to empower the civil society, you also have to take into consideration the diaspora organizations, because they have the clouds to to be able to start changing things. Uh, I'm very favorable to uh, bottom-up type of approaches and not top-down kind of approaches. Perhaps both are needed in a sense that uh, we need to establish a balance between the two. But in in reality, it's it's fundamental that people at all levels feel that they have something to gain with a better coordinating effort between the two continents. It's in everybody's interest. And sometimes we have been failing in terms of public communication to make this clear to, to everyone. We are facing global challenges. And those global challenges can only be done through cooperation between all the interest stakeholders. Uh, it's not just Africa that is suffering the ravages of climate change. Of course they increased the issue because it came from a, a, a level of poverty that is of course increased by the, the results of this climate change. But the effort has to be global. If we are not able to do it globally, there's always uh, in someone is out of the picture, then uh, the reality is that uh, it's going to have an impact on everybody else. So this is some case, I understand sometimes the frustration of the activists because they wanted for things to go faster. But those are transitions that are difficult to manage because they touch on many people's lives. And you don't convince people from one day to the other by imposing anything. You have to make them understand the advantages of going from one situation to the other. This takes time. I understand when, he, when I was Vanessa's age, I also like to go faster. Uh, at my age, things definitely slower uh, because we have to take into consideration several different interests that are also legitimate and have to be taken care. Of. But the path, I would say, is established. We all know what uh, the, our planet will be if we don't take action. But we need to convince those that are the laggards in order that we can we can produce the results. and I probably I'm not sure I answered your question, Hola, but I hope so.
0: You did and you raised the interesting question, the kissing question, you know who to call in Africa, uh, which has normally been addressed to the European Union and uh, indeed uh, it is important to to have the right interlocutor and and I think um, the butso raised the issue of uh, being heard bilaterally, you know bilateral versus. Um, EU to EU uh, relations. So Francesca, is there in the strategy um, uh, barriers to, to member states and bilateral relations to, uh, to specific African countries uh, or is this sort of building nicely upon each other?
2: Sorry, i not, not sure I got, I got your question. What kind of barriers?
0: Barriers to bilateral uh, relationship between EU members and African Union members, so nation to nation type of uh, relationship, because uh, Tebatsu alluded to the fact that Botswana, for example, um, is not getting the right attention from a number of uh, European members or the European Union as such. So whether or not uh, uh, member states and the Union can act more um, effectively together uh, is the question.
2: Yes. No, no, thank you. No, I absolutely heard uh, what uh, Madame Baderstein was saying. Uh, perhaps in terms of, if we look at, uh, let's say, bilateral uh, presence in terms of, again, development cooperation, it is clear that the member states have to be selective in the sense that uh, you will see every, almost every member state has a, a strategy for Africa, and there they actually define a list of uh, priority countries, you know, be they defined either in terms of how uh, needs, uh, you know, countries that are a bit more at the bottom of the human development index or or countries in conflict or, or, you know, geostrategic areas. So each country will have, each member state will have a little bit, you know, is area of, of predilection, if we can call it like that. Uh, the difference with us is that we actually, the European Union is present everywhere. I mean, we do have a EU delegation, as we call them in, 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 every, in every country. And let's say the beauty of, of Lisbon, of the new Union treaty of Lisbon and the role of the HRVP, the, the High Representative uh, Vice President, is precisely that that even though the member states may not all be present in, uh, in a certain country, uh, we can, you know, we, we have those discussion with all the member states when we have to define a policy vis-à-vis a country. So this, let's say, unitedness uh, around uh, strategies vis-à-vis countries uh, is, is is there, the possibility is there. And we have actually seen a lot with the with the Team Europe approach that was born out of the COVID response. So last year after the COVID, we, we really put together a package, a huge package, which was uh, 8 billion actually for responding to the COVID as Team Europe, this uh, Team Europe approach, I would say that was born out of a crisis. Uh, we can say that it is really there to stay. So it, it is now ruled. Over into the programming exercise that we are doing. And the programming, of course, is about the Ndiki funds, meaning the the funds you know that are replacing now the European Development Fund, so the global Europe, as we call it, nicer than than Diki. but but that uh, that programming is done with the member states, and we are actually looking much more for synergies and for ways to bring in even the smaller member states that perhaps maybe may not have a, a high a strong presence, for example, in this case in Botswana but I can still through our team Europe initiative as we call them maybe you know still be active still provide some technical assistance and so on but it is clear that you know we cannot change completely let's say the list of of priority countries i think uh, you, you should take it uh, Miss, mrs missis you should take it a bit as a compliment because uh, of course botswana as you rightly pointed out is really a bit of a mother of uh, you know strong democracy very stable country that actually has managed to uh, to 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 manage precisely its natural resources in this case diamonds extremely well so you know you have you actually able to provide you know social protection and and basic services to your population so if you look in terms of needs of course it is not as high you know as other countries were as i said much more to the bottom of the human development so you should take it a bit as a compliment now for 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 diversification of the economy that is where uh, i think indeed it would be interesting to see how much botswana will be able to reap the benefit of these new instruments that we are bringing uh, we're putting on the table which are linked to what we call the european uh, uh, sustainable uh, development finance um, external investment plan, as it was called before, which really tried to combine the risking uh, instrument, meaning bringing guarantees to the private sector precisely to reduce the risk and to invest in African countries, perhaps because there is this little bit of reticence at the beginning, but we are providing guarantees that are uh, trying to 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 go over that uh, that reticence and go into countries that are very stable with, you know, political stability with good you know a- enabling environment for investment that so should should be able to to attract uh, I mean you have a fantastic uh, beef uh, livestock sector where maybe there's already some European investors but there could be more and 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 not just European investors I'm also talking about Botswana and investors so 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 clearly I mean uh, uh, Situation are very different uh, country by country, but uh, but the idea of acting together in a much more joint approach under the Team Europe, I think, is really a new way of doing things uh, that is here to stay. It, it, as I was said, it was born at the COVID, but now it is going to be there to stay.
0: Thanks, Francesca. I would like to go back to one of the points that Vanessa raised uh, about education and a uh, statistic that I read that seventy thousand Africans um, leave. the the continent uh, to uh, pursue opportunities uh, elsewhere in the world, so the so-called brain drain. Now, um, one thing is to uh, help uh, and and for the European Union to to help uh, progress in the educational system, but the other one is, of course, to help to create the framework, economic framework, for retaining talents in Africa. And I was wondering, uh, Tebato, whether or Josef, whether you in your respective countries, um, Botswana and Rwanda, uh, where you have national policies in place or you would need more support in order to, to avoid brain drain uh, going forward. Shall so we'll we start with Tebatsu?
3: Yes, certainly. Thank you very much. May I just, um, maybe before I, 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 I answer that question... Just say that we are aware of the Team Europe initiatives that are going in Botswana to mobilize um, uh, programs for the multi-funding framework and we are very actively participating the the stakeholders in Botswana are very actively participating in that but what I was talking about mostly is um, in the areas of investment that you'll find that for example Botswana has what you call um, Uh, Smart Botswana, which is a very big um, digitalization strategy that was um, even incepted prior to um, the promulgation of the Africa-EU, proposed Africa-EU strategy. This um, is already under the leadership of the president. It is um, aimed at availing internet connectivity countrywide and um, doing that with the private sector and leaving no one behind, availing high-quality service delivery through the internet, upgrading the education system to make it internationally competitive, and that all graduates at all levels are updated to the needs of the current and evolving market, and that um, cutting-edge e-services are available to all citizens. And in this, we need innovation, we need research, we need investment, and... um, we need uh, partnerships in order to ensure that the citizens and investors are able to co-create the e-government plus platforms. So um, in this way, yes, um, we are aware, uh, we, we, we may be flattered that Botswana is doing well, but um, we need for the um, Botswana doing well to be sustained by getting FDI in order to ensure that it continues to do well and it continues to be a model for um, success and a model for success for, for, for the rest of Africa. And in this regard, as a country, as Botswana, we have created what is called a South-South and Triangular Cooperation Strategy. I heard um, Yusuf talk about um, triangular cooperation, where we are saying that um, we have um, gained comparative advantage in a lot of um Areas like good governance, like um, prudent management of financial resources, and in there are opportunities for us cooperating with um, other partners, including the Europe, in order to um, ensure that we um, share experiences of what we have um, learned over the years with other countries within the African Union. That is. Um, our way of ensuring that we are not only just um, uh, uh, getting, but we are also using the knowledge that we have gained in order to retain uh, in, in order to 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 share it with other African countries and ensure that um, everybody it's a win win situation and everybody becomes a success after.
0: Thank you. Thanks a lot, you, Joseph on the brain drain. Um, how can we avoid that? Well, I think
5: uh, the, the,
0: the, 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 the brain drain,
5: I think it's about really managing demographics. That's an important point, moving forward, uh, moving from here, um, and what would be important, I think, is that we, 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 we take strategies that will enable us to really um, decouple uh, population growth from uh, investment that are required in infrastructure. For instance, in the area of education, I think we can really leverage from, uh, from the from digital solution to build decentralized universities uh, across, across countries, which mean across region and then across the continent. This will be already a major factor if we can de- deploy this type of virtual university, high quality standard, which will enable uh, African students to really study from where they are at lower cost. That's number one. The second area where we can, I think, improve, it's also in the area of healthcare. We can leverage from digital solutions to 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 build on 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 the the, the decentralized uh, healthcare infrastructure that we already have in African countries, make them more, much more robust, so that people can really um, build on, uh, on uh, let's say, telemedicine. Uh, uh, Diagnostic based on emerging technologies and so on, without having to, to, to go to Europe, because the reason why you go to Europe is two things: one is education, and the other one is healthcare. So that's the number one thing. It's how you you deal with the the management demographics. The second thing, which I think is important, if you want to to avoid, uh, I'm talking about the long term, right? long term solution. If you want to avoid the brain drain, it's really to build uh, to decouple economic growth from resource consumption so to have a kind of a very sustainable uh, economies where you you, you, you develop robust economies across the continent built on let's say the bioeconomy the carbon economy and so on which are clear opportunities for, for Africa and I think uh, in any case the, the way I see the brain drain for me I always talk about brain circulation the reason why I talk about brain circulation is that myself I worked in Senegal, then I moved to Belgium, US, where I spent twenty five years, and then I moved back to Africa. So it's really about brain circulation
0: and not necessarily about uh, brain too. Thanks a lot, Youssef. Uh, I, I like the brain circulation uh, concept. Um, I was just uh, sort of the reflection is that you get back to the it's the economy stupid type of Bill Clinton, um, and if we do not fix the economy. Uh, of Africa, Uh, a lot of these other uh, issues that we need to fix uh, won't be fixed either. Um, But we have little time left and I would return, really like to return to what Vanessa said about climate change and um, having to invest in a sustainable uh, energy system uh, for Africa. And uh, to you, uh, José Francesco Vanessa, on what can the Green Deal of Europe be uh, a model for Africa, or do we need to think a totally different model when it comes to the energy system for Africa um, altogether? Shall we start with you, Francesca?
2: Yes, thank you very much. In fact, I really wanted to react uh, a lot to what Vanessa said, so so thanks a lot, and thank you, Vanessa, for for, for reminding us. I mean, maybe I was not uh, totally clear in you know in the presentation of the the strategy. The Green Deal is is really a big part of it, uh, as as you may know. I mean, as uh, the new commission arrived, the uh, end of 2019, really, Green Deal uh, is is has come up. Not really so much as one priority, but really as the priority of this commission because of the impact this has on 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 so many aspects of of life as, as you rightly pointed out you know security really protection of people and and uh, and the, the impact that we are now you know in the middle of the covid uh, this is also due to you know loss of biodiversity and the zoonotic uh, you know traveling from the forest into the markets and into the into the cities and into us so so it is a very it really you know came up into our face as a big impact of of climate change. So to really uh, make very clear that the strategy is really brought a lot by that and in whatever we propose, we have of course on the renewable energy we, we do propose actually an initiative on renewable energy uh, for initiative for africa which will really try to transform uh, any new either new new you know production uh, capacity that has to be green and i can already reassure you that our bank the european investment bank investment bank has already declared that you know they, they don't fund uh, fossil fuels so we do not fund fossil fuels anymore already for, for several years uh, and and even on gas you know there's a lot of debate So so you know be reassured that whatever we will fund is going to be only renewable energy but not only I think we are looking at the whole spectrum so we're looking at cooking you know and clean cooking is it's a big Chunk also of what uh, uh, is, is is produced in uh, or what has an impact also on deforestation in Africa, but it's also the way we do infrastructure. Infrastructure has to be climate resilient. So you mentioned rightly the Idai cyclone. I actually went to Mozambique precisely to uh, to inaugurate a road that you know we've been building up there uh, some some time ago, and and uh, clearly the the roads now these days they have to be built, but bearing in mind the impact that climate can have. So a very thin road with a very bad drainage system, I can tell you, will not resist, you know, the, the cyclone and so on. So everything we do, we have to take that in mind. Agriculture now, in agriculture, this is a big also component of what we want to to promote, and it is agroecology. It is having a, an agriculture that is sustainable, that can combine, you know, f- forest. Uh, so agroecology combining the forest and the agriculture precisely. To avoid the loss of biodiversity with the, the huge impact, negative impact it has, we have. You may have heard about the Green Green Wall, which is this big initiative uh, along the whole Sahel that uh, our, our president has already committed that we're going to fund this uh, this great Green Wall, you know, via a number of initiatives at at national level. Uh, biodiversity conservation per se, we 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 really, you know, it's is one of the things that we're going to do. So clearly, I mean, and rightly you say that uh, it is not a matter of, uh, you know, imposing targets onto Africa, but it is really trying to see, to leapfrog and to avoid that, uh, you know, the, the, the consumption and production pattern in Africa are going to, you know, follow the bad examples that, you know, maybe we did many, many years ago. And also because the impact of climate change is huge uh, on Africa. So there I really wanted to, to reassure you. also wanted to reassure two other things very quickly. One is on education as you may have seen also under the new programming for Africa and in general under the global Europe, we have a 20% target for uh, human development. But within that target, our commissioner has very clearly stated that education, uh, she has decided on another uh, sub-target of 10% to be spent on education. And I totally agree with you that education of women is critical it's critical to keep women longer in school so that, you know, they don't get married early and don't start, you know, having children early. So the longer you keep girls in school, the less children they will have. The more they're educated, also the better it's going to be for the nutrition of these children because, you know, they know about what is sustainable nutrition and in general on climate change, I mean, we also want, you know, to try and promote an education system that already raises awareness about that. So totally grown education and, of of course, youth, it is critical, it is also a very uh, dear, uh, you know, uh, issue, uh, theme to for our commissioner. We really want to engage very strongly with the youth. You may have heard that she has uh, announced, you know, she will be having a sounding board, our commissioner, and that uh, there was, I think, uh, a whole uh, application for, for young people to be part of the sounding board. She really wants to engage, but not just at her level. She also wants each of our delegation to really continue and, and enhance what we're already doing which is to talk to civil society in general and to young young people in particular because this is where also we we want to have a whole of society approach and and talk not just to government and let's say the elites in in place but also to the young people because they are the future generation and they're the one who you know are going to be taking the toll of all you know policies that are not in line with with the big global challenges that we are facing. Thank, Thank you. you,
0: Francesca. Rapidly, you say: is uh, the European Green Deal a model for Africa?
1: I think, um, in my view, things should be tailor-made. The, Africa has different uh, perspectives in the sense that you cannot uh, process the transition as easily in a, uh, in a country, for instance, that is highly dependable on oil, and that's uh, complete infrastructure built upon this specific industry and the country that is not so i would say that uh, I, i'm not sure exporting models is the best way to produce results models should be adapted to to realities and we also have a reality for instance that in some african countries there is a a clear transfer of people from urban from rural areas to uh, to cities and this also have, of course an impact uh, in a way that uh, people do their lives in the impact that on, on climate change. So uh, I think we should be flexible. I think we should t- t- take one country, uh, each country by itself, and, and 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 check what would be the, the best way possible to uh, produce results, uh, taking into consideration what is the reality of this country. This does not prevent to have a general strategy about, for instance, uh, uh, changing the sources of energy. For sure, this can uh, be applied everywhere. But the way you apply it is where you have to be more careful, in the sense that you have to take into consideration the the local perspectives, the local circumstances. The same goes, of course, also uh, uh, respective to education and girls' education. We know that in some African countries, this is easier than in others because of uh, uh, cultural impact or religious impact in the way people think about those issues. So there there is, again, a, a work of trying to convince people that those uh, ultimate goals are the ones that are fundamental for them. Uh, and that's where we have to, to, to focus our, our, our attention in order that, uh, as I said before, we, we don't need to uh, impose things. We need to convince people that those are, it's the right way to go in order that we can really reduce the uh, sometimes a significant resistance uh, to something that would produce very dire results if not tackle right now.
0: Thank you, José. And Vanessa, when you look to Europe uh, in terms of climate change or in terms of energy uh, uh, policy, what, uh, what kind of inspirations do you take back to your own continent and to your own generation?
4: Well, thank you very much. I think I really um, take inspirations from the activists, Um, that continue to pressure and demand for climate justice from the leaders. And when it comes to green solutions, I take inspiration from what I already see is happening, not what I see um, being discussed or what I see being proposed, but then we don't really see put in action. I can give an example. Uh, in 2019, I started a project and this project involves the installation of solar panels and clean cooking stoves in schools in Uganda. And so if I can say, I have carried out installations in 11 schools. Of course, this is not something that uh, someone will talk about as you know a part of a green economy because. It may seem small, it may seem um, grassroots, but what I can say is every action is important. And I think it's time to look at what is already on ground, to look at what people and communities are already doing on ground, you know, to make this world a better place, instead of, you know, thinking about what needs to be done we have to first look at what people are doing and what is already working. I know that a green economy is possible, not just in Uganda, but also in Africa at large. And I can say that for a green economy to work, it has to really put into consideration the realities of the people in the in these countries. It also has to put into consideration the wisdom of the people in these countries, especially the wisdom of indigenous communities. I can say that indigenous communities have been able to preserve our ecosystems for many years, and they are usually left out of these conversations. So we need this wisdom for our green economies. I can give an example. in my culture, names are given according to plants or to trees or according to to animals. And we have like different clans and every clan has like a, a totem. It can be an animal, it can be a plant or anything uh, that is about the natural world. And If someone has maybe a totem of uh, a cow or an elephant or any bird, any animal you can think of, they are not allowed to hurt that animal. They are not allowed to kill that animal. They are not allowed to eat that animal or even that tree. So, through this naming of people, animals have been preserved for a long period of time. Trees have been preserved for many years. And this kind of wisdom is needed for our green economies. We cannot wipe it out. So it's important to put into consideration indigenous wisdom of preservation of our ecosystems, of our natural world, and also to look at things that are already happening in communities, like the school project that I've talked about, that is lighting up And transitioning schools to renewable energy, as well as providing these clean cooking technologies in these schools that not only uh, are stopping or reducing uh, the indoor pollution, but also protecting the environment in the long run.
0: Thank you, Vanessa, and I can't think of a better way to conclude a debate on a young voice uh, from a great uh, continent. And thank you for underlining the fact that both wisdom and value uh, are important parts of a partnership that we hope will grow strong over the years to come, and that helps both the EU and Africa to deal with some of the daunting um, challenges that we have discussed during this uh, panel debate. I thank all of our listeners and I thank all of you panellists for having taken part. And um, good day to uh, to all of us for the rest of the day. Bye-bye.